Boar's Head is bringing a slice of Japan to the deli. Introducing Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. Tender, slow-roasted chicken breast, coated in our signature teriyaki glaze, where ginger, garlic, and a hint of brown sugar meet for a flavor that's both sweet and savory. New Boar's Head Ichiban Teriyaki-style chicken. The bold flavor of Japan, now at the deli. Only from Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Hello, everyone. This is the Life Coach Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio. I'm very excited to have as my guest today someone I'm honored to call my friend, brilliant master entrepreneur, Sim Seagal. I'm your host, Jan Jaffe. Welcome to Your Best Life. Today is Veterans Day, and I'd like to express gratitude to all of those who have served our country. And now I'll just take a moment to introduce myself. I'm a graduate of Northwestern University, from which I hold both my bachelor's and master's degrees. I'm also an IPEC certified professional coach, energy leadership index master practitioner, and uh, a a core well-being dynamic specialist. I had a successful international career as a concert and opera singer and voice and master class teacher, which was cut short by traumatic brain injuries. These TBIs altered my life. I lost language for six weeks and was thrilled after four months when I was finally able to walk with the aid of a walker. My recovery took many, many years and was extremely difficult, but as a result, I've come to discover many things about myself and life, namely what it is to lose oneself, definition, career, and purpose in life and feel totally lost, that there is great strength in vulnerability, that there can be great opportunity and challenge, strengths I had never known I had, the true meaning of resiliency, and that I'm very good at picking myself up, dusting myself off, and hurling myself forward. I don't mean to make it sound as though it was an easy or straightforward process. It most certainly was not. With Forward to Success, I'm dedicated to helping professional women and opera singers achieve optimal success, realization of their potential, and passion, purpose, life balance, and well-being in every aspect of their lives. You can contact me at info at forwardtosuccess.com. Sim Seagal is president and founder of Symergy Consulting, a firm specializing exclusively in enterprise risk management, otherwise known as ERM. Headquartered in Manhattan, 
Synergy provides ERM consulting services to companies in all sectors, primarily in the U.S. and Canada. Synergy also provides executive training on ERM. Prior to Synergy, Sigal led ERM consulting practices at Deloitte, Aon, and Towers Watson and was an officer at MetLife. He also led one of the internal teams to convert MetLife into a stock company. With 30 years of experience in measuring and managing risk, Sigal is a globally recognized ERM thought leader with broad functional experience, deep technical knowledge, and ERM experience in a variety of sectors. Sigal is an author of numerous publications and author of his book, Corporate Value of Enterprise Risk Management, which is required reading on the syllabi of the Society of Actuaries, SOA, and leading universities in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, China, Italy, Croatia, and Egypt. He's also director of ERM programs at Columbia University. Sigal is host of Risk Radio, a weekly radio show featuring discussions and interviews on ERM topics. He has also conducted several ERM research studies. Sigal is active on industry committees and has served as chief editor of Risk Management. Prior to Synergy, Sigal led ERM consulting practices at Deloitte, Aon, and Towers Watson, was an officer at MetLife, and led one of the internal teams to convert MetLife into a stock company. Sigal has also played a leadership role in the actuarial profession and graduated summa cum laude from Wayne State University with a BA in mathematics. He's a fellow of society, at, of Actuaries FSA and a Chartered Enterprise Risk Analyst, or CERA. Sigal is one of 40 ERM experts awarded the CERA for thought, leadership, and significant contributions to advance the practice of ERM. I am very excited to have Sim Sigal as my guest on today's show. Welcome, Sim. Well, thank you for having me, Jan. It's a it's a pleasure to be on your show. You know, it's 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 unfortunate that I don't get to introduce you because I would have added to your short uh, bio since you read such a long one for me that uh, that Jan is incredibly talented at everything she touches. <laughs> so, you know, the the term polymorphous perverse. Well, you're talentedly perverse. Oh my goodness, Sim! Thank you so much. Again, it's such an honor to have you here today. Uh, and for our listeners, the number here is six four six seven one six nine three nine seven. And I would like to invite our listeners to call in. We welcome your calls, questions, comments, and contribution to the discussion. Again, the number here is six four six seven one six nine three. So, Sim, um, let's just get right into this. What made you decide to launch your own business? You know, I I get asked that question occasionally, and, you know, I always had it in the back of my mind. It was always a desire of mine that I thought, you know, one day I would like to do it. I wasn't sure if it was going to happen, how it was going to happen, but I always had the idea, and in my line of work, it would most likely have to have been uh, consulting, and that's what it what it turned out to be. Uh, I've always had the the vision uh, that you know I could do it 
I, and then I could do it better. When I looked up in an organization, I always thought, well, you know, how would I do the role if I were uh, my manager and all, all the way up to the CEO? And I always thought I had ideas. And, and another aspect of this is that when you, if you believe in yourself and you want to bet on yourself and you trust your instincts and know what you can do and also understand where, you, what you, where your limitations are, uh, it, it's pretty frustrating sometimes to work in very large uh, organizations, as good as they may be. There's natural uh, friction. There's natural uh, wasted efforts. And I remember having a conversation with uh, – a friend of mine, a very, very brilliant woman that I knew was going to be uh, advancing very high up in, in management uh, at some point in the future. And I said to her, I said, you know, how much of your efforts, with all your, your brilliance, how, how, many of your, how many of your efforts fall to the floor because uh, somewhere along the management handoff chain, somebody got wrong what we should even be doing, or uh, they misinterpreted it, or they just suddenly shifted directions. And uh, you know, it, it, several weeks had gone by, and I ran into her again, and she said, you know, for a couple of weeks I was depressed <laughs> after talking to you because she realized how much of even her efforts were, were just didn't end up going anywhere. And I think that's something that we all want to do in life. We all want to make the biggest possible positive impact we can make on our environment, our, our colleagues, our company, our, our social network, our family, every, everything. So that's something that is often thwarted uh, in large organizations. Another aspect of this was in consulting, uh, you know, I'd already been doing a lot of what I was already going to need to do on my own myself. I was already coming up with uh, the, the ideas, demonstrating the thought leadership, getting out there doing general marketing, target marketing, working with clients, doing staffing engagement, managing it, doing invoicing, I mean, everything. So I was already doing that. And what in, in the process of that consultants, we have to go out and, and be known. We have to get out there in the media. And there were opportunities to engage with the media occasionally that were uh, interfered with because the company I was at was so large, uh, it was just difficult to get that done, or there were too many lawyers that would have to review the comments in advance, or that it might... Uh, you know, it involves actually a client that we already had somewhere in the company. We were so large, uh, virtually everybody's our client at some point, so you can't say this, you can't say that. And and I found that when I started my, you know, when I first started my own company, all that was released, and, and I had a chance to do these things, and I, I told people, you know, I felt like a, a young puppy just taken off the leash and scampering up the hill and barking and going in any direction because I could go unfettered anywhere that I wanted to go. I could choose the path and uh, take the chances I wanted to take. I love that. <laughs> I loved your your that image of you as a as a young puppy running up the hill. But that that says so much. Thank you so much for that. Um, I mean, you just you just stated so much there about knowing. You knowing your field really, really well, and how to deal with media and making the right choices, because as we know, choices are so important in all of this. Um, and so, you know, I have another question then for listeners considering starting a business: what do they need to be able to do this? I think uh, if 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 someone is thinking about it, I, I find that those folks that are destined to start their own business, they have a passion for it. 
it's not something like, well, there's 75 different things that they might want to do, and just starting their own business is one of them. Entrepreneurs, usually the ones that end up being entrepreneurs are those that always had a sense that they they can visualize themselves, <clears throat> excuse me, they can visualize themselves doing it, or they had a, they had a desire to do it uh, at, at some point. <clears throat> Obviously, also, you have to either have or develop expertise in a particular area. That's a must. Another mm. fact is that it takes a balance of skills. There's there's a lot of different things, especially when you're starting up. Uh, you're small, and you don't have a, a, as many available resources. So being resourceful and being able to do a range of things. If there's certain functions that you, you're you're like, oh, no, I, I won't touch that. I won't do that. Let somebody else do that. Then, then probably you're not going to be an entrepreneur. You really need to wear every hat in the business. You, you need to keep your fingers on it or actually just do it yourself. There's some things you can delegate, uh, but you really need to have a balance of skills, not just with the technical expertise, but also obviously virtually every business involves people. Uh, you have to have interaction skills. Uh, people skills, you need negotiating skills, communication skills, uh, you need obviously sales skills, marketing skills. So there's a lot that goes into a business, including the details, uh, being a detail-oriented person to some degree or finding somebody trusted that you can work with on that. So it's knowing what skills, you, you have to have a balance of skills, knowing what what you can do, knowing what you're definitely not good at and you need to find other resources. And then today's sharing economy, there's a lot of ways of getting the, to be able to fill in certain blanks that you may have by uh, mini outsourcing. There's lots of different apps and, and sites that can do that uh, now. So that's part of it. You also need to have a certain minimum of finances. If you're, if you're right on the edge and have zero in the bank, it, you, can't, you can't afford to take a risk and just borrow everything. I mean, you have to have a certain amount of of cushion because when you start out, you'd have to do a little bit of investing and setting up a business. There's certain costs involved. Another thing that I think you need to have is a work ethic. Everybody says you're never as busy as when you start your own business, and it, it's pretty much true. I mean, I, I definitely busier than I've ever been before, but I also have a life. I mean, and you have to know what's important to you. I, I have one at least a one hour lunch every day and I'm virtually never miss my my lunch breaks that's important to me I I have my evenings pretty much free and I'll work here and there a little bit on the weekends a little bit but uh but you have to give a work ethic to be able to get things done you have to be able to dig in and focus and be productive if 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 somebody has a dream of you know I want to be an entrepreneur I want to delegate everything don't really do a, want to be that busy and do a lot of work and it's it's not going to it's not going to be successful you really have to put in put in the work what what you will find though is that when you're working for yourself and you can choose what you're doing the quality that you're doing it with the ethics and morals you can put into it the fact that you get the reward or the pain of your successes and or mistakes and it's so much easier to do uh, and you find that it, a lot of it doesn't feel like work although you're busy you enjoy it a lot more because you have more control. And I think that's what a lot of people are seeking when they're thinking about being an entrepreneur. They really want control. They're tired of uh, other people getting in the way of their success or limiting what they're doing or having them do something that's not very rewarding or productive or even proper. Uh, so this, this really, I, I think, is an important aspect of that, too. Oh wow! Thank you. You just you you touched on 
so many, many issues here or so many ingredients that, um, you know, that, that, that entrepreneurs or people who are considering this really um it's it's important to to have for example like just like you said the incredible desire the passion um and to be able to visualize yourself doing it the expertise which is so essential which um a lot of people don't necessarily they'll have an idea but maybe they don't have the expertise and as you mentioned that's so important the balance of skills being um, resourceful and being able to wear every hat or knowing um, how to outsource things properly um, and being detail oriented and um, and being and really being aware and know of self aware and knowing what it is you can do and what you can't do well so that you know what you can mini outsource as you said and having that cushion that minimum of finances because in the beginning you're going to be having to invest in your business having that important work ethic. Um, that you know, because there are people that think, well, this way I'll be able to work maybe three days a week, and then the rest of the time I'll be going to Hawaii and whatever. And it's it's not necessarily that way. Maybe you'll be going to Hawaii, but you'll be working while you're there. Um, <laughs> I I, <laughs> well, you right? mentioned, you I mentioned something that I actually didn't mention, which I think is a really important thing to add. You mentioned visualization as part of the passion. Uh, visualization is really important. It reminds me of a really good book that I, uh, I listen to. I do audio books. Someone recommended to me, a friend of mine, uh, a book called The Success Principles uh, by Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield, I think, is the author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series of books. Mm-hmm. But in this book, he gives a lot of tips. And I've listened to the audio book. I've listened to it probably a few times. And each time I, I listen to it, I, I hear something new. But he talks about, uh, and I think he is, if I'm recalling correctly, I hope I'm not conflating him with somebody else, but I think he's also a gold medal, um, Olympic gold medalist uh, in some event. And he talked about how popular and how, how common it is for top athletes. They do a lot of visualization. It's a, it's a big part of being able to be successful at the top level is to be able not just have the physical abilities but uh, and the practice, but to actually visualize. You have to be able to to see in detail, imagine and visualize yourself succeeding. And if you cannot visualize it, you can't do it. And if you can visualize it, clearly then most likely you'll be able to do it. And that's, and he says that this is, we're just in our infancy and starting to learn and apply these skills to the business world. And so he talks a little bit about that in the book, but it's a book that I, I, I've often recommended to people. It, uh, it's got a lot of nice tidbits. So if, if there's folks out there considering starting a business, One of the things he talks about just comes to mind is don't wait for the perfect plan or the perfect time. It doesn't exist. And even if you spend an extra year or an extra six months or whatever developing more refinements on how you're going to do this, and you you do have to have uh, a decent plan in mind, uh, an outline to get started, it's it's not going to execute exactly that way. What he points out is you've got to dive in. You've just got to dive in, and the experience will show you your path to success because you will adapt and modify it. For me, and I look back at this, I actually drew out a plan and figured out the different parts of the, the types of business I'd be doing and the different revenue streams and the expenses, and it actually mapped out pretty closely. There was just a couple of small things that one that one that uh, didn't work as well as I thought. Uh, you know, doing webinars was not really a good use of time, uh, risk reward balance. 
and another aspect worked much better than I thought it would be from a marketing perspective. So, but generally it worked out. It doesn't always work that way, and you have to go where the opportunities are and what you learn from digging in. So it's, mm. there's a lot of advice he gives in that book, and I, um, I would advise uh, folks to pick it up. I have no connection to that. I'm just a big fan (laughs) of uh, his and and that book. So that's Success Principles by Jack Hanfield. Is that the one that you're you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Thank you for that. And you know what? We have a couple of callers. Um, What do you? How do you feel about um, talking or talking to a caller? Okay. So. a caller ending in six seven zero one. You're uh, are you there? Hello, caller. Your number ends in six seven zero one. Hello. Ah, uh, we may have lost. I don't know. They're they're they may have walked away. I'll try. I'll put you on hold, and I'll go to our next our other caller. They've been holding almost since the beginning of the show. So this your caller, your number ends in two six zero six. Are you there? I'm here. Hi. Hi. Um, <laughs> how are you? Okay. Um, I wanted to first of all concur quite a bit that um, starting your own business gives you a lot more freedom than being in a large organization. My whole career has been in a large organization, and um, I have been successful as a as a manager and learned a lot about managing uh, people. And um, one of the things I learned that I found was very important, at one point I became a single parent, and I was learning how to nurture children at home, and I found that the skills of nurturing uh, were directly applicable in the office to managing people that was most significant. And um, I completed my career as a CEO, and I found that a very important skill. So anyone who's starting a business where you have employees, um, make sure that that's upmost in your mind in terms of how you treat employees. The other thing I want to mention is knowing quite a few entrepreneurs. Um, The successful ones I've learned were the ones who could get knocked down and stand back up because in your own business, frequently, uh, things don't go the way you want uh, or, or your business might even fail and you'll have to move into a completely different business. So those are two lessons I learned from friends who are successful entrepreneurs. Two two excellent points, if I could just uh, add to that. So the first one is about how you treat people, and this is something that's a big part of my philosophy, and I agree with you. It's a big part of success. The higher up you move in an organization, the more important uh, those skills are because your job becomes more and more about developing others. I, I always say <laughs> through my career, and it's not to the fault of the people. I work with some excellent people. It's just in, in business a lot of times there isn't really – people talk a lot, oh, people are the most important, but they don't. the dollars don't follow that. There's not a lot of training and development in how to uh, hire the right people, develop them, manage them. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be in a lot of organizations where that's been a little more invested, in, but I think we still got a long way to go in the business world. And I say I, I've learned a lot – 
about how to manage, by, mostly by counterexample, unfortunately, throughout my career. And so I, the way I do it is if somebody is just an example, uh, I believe in huge transparency uh, and accountability, but transparency, allowing people to know where they are all the time, not these big surprise uh, reveals at the end of a year and say, oh, well, yeah, you didn't do enough for a bonus. I mean, that's a game. It's a shell game. You've got to be honest with people, give them good feedback uh, real time. But if somebody that worked for me did something good, I made sure that every man, when I was in larger companies, uh, not my own, I, I made sure everybody above me knew three times, I told them, that this was the individual that did that good thing. Why? Not only was it the ethically and morally right thing to do, but it's also the good business thing to do. Because when people feel recognized and acknowledged, then they're going to do more of that good thing. Uh, and, and then they trust you. The second thing is when somebody that worked for me did something wrong, I made sure everybody above me knew as well that it was my fault. I was the one managing. I was the one that should have caught that mistake. Privately, that individual and I will have a conversation. What, what went wrong? What can we do better the next time? And obviously, if the same error keeps coming up over and over, we obviously have an issue we have to address uh, more seriously. But when you do that, people know that they can make small mistakes, and they trust you. They feel protected. And that's also ethically and morally right, but again, the right business thing, because when you really need things in the crunch, and you're having been a CEO, you know that there's certain crunch times, that's when you really need people to be there for you. And if you nickel and dime people, if you aren't honest with people, they're not going to be there for you fully when you really need them. But the way I manage people, people know, uh, and it's a two-way street, so then they're, they're very gracious and, and willing to give you, whether it's an all-nighter, work a weekend, you know, do something uh, intense, whatever you need it, that's really important. So I, I am a huge believer in that. Uh, and, of course, retaining people. Constantly getting turnover is a huge cost to any business, and you want to uh, have good retention. The second thing uh, you mentioned was that entrepreneurs have to be able to get knocked down and get back up, and that's, that's a really important message, too. Failing, uh, and hopefully it's smaller failures, sometimes it's larger ones. We hope we can learn from smaller failure lessons. And I, I, this may be, I, it's in some book I read, I don't remember which, it's not my original thought, certainly, but they talk about fast failing, like learning quickly and adapting from that. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, America is about being able to do that and, 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 and being able to fail and learn from it and then move on. So very two very important points. I'm glad you added that to our discussion today. Thank you. Good. Thank you both so much. Um, caller, is, is it all right if I identify you with your first name? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is my brilliant cousin, Michael, who, and he is, um, he is a rocket scientist, or he was. Um, he's brilliant, brilliant, and I'm so, and, and uh, I'm so honored and delighted to have had him call in today. Michael, thank you so much. You're it's welcome. always a delight. Uh, I'm always so honored when you listen and when you call in and when you add to to our show. And um, I'd, I'd love to get these two gentlemen together. I'm so delighted to have gotten them together for just a, a short conversation to talk about brilliant minds. So um, thank you so much for calling, Michael. It's been a delight as always. Thank you. Let me add one more thing, if I can. Um, mm. I got to know Bill Lear very well, who was probably one of the more famous entrepreneurs in this country, Lear Siegler, Lear Jet, et cetera. Mm. And if you look at the arc of his career, he kept failing in companies, going broke, uh, his 
his uh, wife told me that it was it was uh, feast or famine because they kept going broke and then they'd be successful at the next company and then go broke again. Um, and so that business of being able to get back up and start again is very important for entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Good. Yes, Bye-bye. thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. I'm going to just see if we can if our other caller is um is still there. So, um caller, your number ends in 6701. Are you there? Hello? I I guess either your your phone may be on mute. Or you may have walked away from your phone because it looks like you're still connected. Okay, I'm going to put you on hold again, and maybe we can bring you back uh, a bit later in the show. Okay, so um, I just wanted, we're about halfway through the show, so at this point I'm just going to take a moment uh, to, to acknowledge our sponsor. And here on the Life Coach Radio Networks, we're proud to have as our sponsor Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet, offering customers a new way to enhance and enrich their lives every day. Audible is the preeminent provider of spoken word audio products, which include more than 100,000 audio programs from more than 1,800 content providers. Receive a free audio book with your 30-day trial when you sign up with Audible today at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. Now here are some Audible books on entrepreneurship. The Lean Startup, How Today's Entrepreneurs Use Continuous Innovation to Create Radically Successful Businesses, written and narrated by Eric Ries. The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster, Why Now is the Time to Join the Ride, written and narrated by Darren Hardy. Street Smarts, an all-purpose toolkit for entrepreneurs, written by Norm Brodsky and Bo Burlingham. And Anything You Want, 40 Lessons for a New Land of Entrepreneur, written and narrated by Derek Sivers. So don't forget to sign up for a one-month free trial to get your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. Audible.com, making listening a tool for life. And now back to our show. So, Sim, um, what do you find the most rewarding about running your own business? Uh, you know, the most rewarding thing I think is again the freedom to do things the way that I want to do it. Not just the methods of how I do it, but the quality that I'm able to control in terms of the work product I deliver to clients. The the ethics we already talked about the, my approach to to how I manage uh, staff. Uh, the ethics in terms of client relationships. Uh, and managing my time. So I'm able to do the things that I find rewarding. For example, I love mentoring uh, people, bringing them into the profession, uh, young, younger folks. And, and I, you know, I do a lot of that. And 
uh, this secondary role I have at Columbia, I, I can fit that in my schedule because I own my schedule, so I can I can make time for it. And so being able to carve out the things that you want to do, you know, I I've always actually amazingly uh, virtually always been managed. Uh, uh, even when I worked at big companies, I've been managed. Uh, in terms of get it done, not be at your desk at a certain amount of time. And I, and I think that's really the way things are moving in general uh, in business, not at all companies, but it, things should be focused on get it done. You know, you shouldn't really matter if somebody's at their desk 24-7. If they're not getting it done, that's not good. And if somebody can get things done in a shorter amount of time, that should be fine too. Uh, obviously, you want them you know, productive as they can be in, in, with, with the remaining time, but being able to manage your time, I think, is, is, is a big deal. And, and your personal time and your work time need to be managed together because if one is out of balance, then both are going to suffer uh, anyway. So I think that's having the flexibility to, to make my schedule the way I want it uh, is, is of great value to me. That now, is wonderful. Find, yeah, I also find working, you know, my my favorite part of the work, when I was a consulting at larger firms, I always told my friends, you know, I love consulting. I love the client work. I love, you know, making presentations and going out and, and sharing ideas with people and then, you know, meeting clients, figuring out their, their business problems and how the process that I have is going to help their business. And, however, inside of large consulting firms, there often is a culture that is not very, uh, you know, amenable to to, to, to uh, productivity. So, you know, I, I enjoy being able to do the things that I like with clients and, and having the culture that I can define uh, for the company myself. Mm, that's very, very interesting. Um, you know, there's several things that you mentioned here about the quality, having, uh, being able to have the quality of work that you that you want that's important to you and mentoring and um you know your personal time and your work time and the fact that you love people which knowing you I know that you that's very true about you um and I also know that you know about the personal time and the work time which you talked about before when you you touched on when the fact that when you have your own business you can you know you it's important still to have balance um, personal versus work time balance, and that you always take an hour of lunch. And you mentioned that you love to mentor, and I have to say that I am, I have been, you know, the 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 very glad and blessed recipient of your hour lunch and your your mentoring, and that we've had we have our our lunches every so often, and I always. Aside from just the social aspect of it, I just I really enjoy the information that you share. So um, I thank you for those I, those I, lunches. I of, yeah, it's funny because I never thought of our lunches as as me being the mentor. I learn a lot from you. So. <laughs> well, it's mutual. And um, you know, the, something else that you that you people are not aware of um, is that one of the things, and we'll talk. I want to talk about. Um, what you do at Columbia and how all of that came about, but um, also the fact that you, you know, that you you find that there are things that that are very very important uh, in in doing the kind of work that you do or in in being an entrepreneur. And one of the things that you even teach is about uh, public speaking and um, how important that is and the skills that are required. 
And so um, I would like to really touch on that. Um, and I would like to talk about the, you know, because I believe I could be wrong, but I believe that that's one of the things that you teach at Columbia. So maybe we can get into this whole conversation about um, the secondary role, as you mentioned, at Columbia University, how you, how you got there, how that, you know, what you do there. So if you wouldn't mind, Ken, I'd love to get into that. Oh, sure. So, uh, years ago, uh, one of my colleagues at uh, a large consulting firm, he was—he had a special kind of deal where he was—he <clears throat> had uh, half of his time he was working uh, at uh, UConn, uh, University of Connecticut, and he as a professor, and the other half he was doing consulting for our consulting firm. So he—he he heard me make an internal presentation on my area of expertise, enterprise risk management, which is a growing uh, area now. And he said, you know, he says at UConn, he says, we're, we're trying to design a, an ERM master's curriculum. He says, and, you know, we'd love for you to come on the committee and sort of show us, like, uh, ideas of how we could design that curriculum. So I happily joined it. I just gave them some ideas. They never went on to, to, to develop that. But it gave me an idea that, you know, if this were to come about, that, you know, I could be an adjunct professor on the side. And it's something that, you know, I, when I first started going to college, I thought, yeah, I thought I was going to be a math teacher. And it was one of my thoughts initially, although I wanted to do everything. And so, you know, this is a way I can do my consulting, but on the side, I could play teacher a little bit. So, so I, I like the idea. Fast forward several years later, I was uh, one of the poster children for my profession, the Society of Actuaries, to go speak about this new credential that they developed on uh, enterprise risk management called the Chartered Enterprise Risk Analyst Credential. So they sent me to Tokyo to speak about it there. They sent me to different universities, and I went to NYU and spoke about it, and I went to Columbia and spoke about it. And a number of the students stayed with me after the presentation. They really encouraged me to get involved. They wanted me to come teach a class there. And so I, I started off teaching the class in uh, Columbia's business school, which is great because it's one of the, you know, I'm probably one of the top ten in the world. Uh, and, and that was a great experience. And then I moved over to, to a different part of Columbia where they uh, seduced me to come in under the, the idea that we would eventually develop a full master's curriculum. And uh, it's now come about. Just recently we, we launched it. And as part of that, and it's a highly technical uh, field, certainly, and what's also true is that it's a very tricky role, being a chief risk officer or being on, a, on a, the corporate team that, that helps implement this in an organization or other, asp other various roles that work with these people. It's tricky, and it requires a lot of people skills, and as do many jobs. And so we walk the talk that people are important, that these skills are important. We actually have baked two full courses on communication, one of which I teach, into the requirements of this technical master's. And because we want to make people really successful, not just to know how to do it uh, in practice, but actually make it come about in practice. And I always say the only way to do anything of value is with and through other people. Now, in this course, which is called Strategic Communications for Risk Professionals, which I really believe anybody could take this course and, and benefit from it. We talk about, we teach listening skills, we teach presentation skills, we teach conflict resolution, which is really negotiating skills uh, and how to do it ethically and how to, how to defend yourself against unethical negotiating gambits. We talk about leadership communication, and this is something that I learned uh, back when I was leading uh, one of the dozen or so IPO teams internally at MetLife, when MetLife went public around 2000. 
I, uh, in advance of going public, in advance of that, uh, Bob Ben Moshe, who's now passed, he was the CEO of AIG more recently, but a while back when we were in that position in that life, he was our CEO and, and he took us public. And he got uh, a, uh, a consultant to come out of retirement to train the 600 of us officers in MetLife uh, and, and get ready to go public. Uh, he, he had us trained in leadership. And the individually, he got to come out of retirement to train us in small groups in an IBM conference training facility upstate New York where we started off Sunday, worked all day and all night, the entire week. It was very intense. Uh, this was the same consultant that trained Jack Welch back in the GE days. That's how she made her bones. She had a double Ph.D., brilliant woman. And, and there's a piece that I learned from her about leadership communication structure that's very powerful. Uh, a lot of leaders use this technique. I, I think that, that – uh, so we, we put that in the course, too. Uh, so there's, different, there's very different aspects of the course, and I think this is, this is a big part of making people successful is the interactions with other people. Wow. You know, <laughs> well, I know, first of all, I know how, how uh, masterful you are at all of this. And um, I think a lot of people, um, their awareness of actuaries are people kind of, you know, out of sight who are doing all of this. You know, they're very, very bright. They're doing all of this, this, uh, this work that most people cannot even conceive of. Um, but at least in the past, actuaries have not known, been known for their uh, communication skills or their people skills. Am I correct in this? I'm sorry, I just missed the, the uh, my end of the phone cut off for the last few seconds. Can you repeat that? Oh, I said that um, that and in the past, actuaries have not been known for their communication skills. They were known for this incredibly technical and you know in, intellectual and, and yes. intelligent work that they were doing. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's a disease of not just actuaries, but all technical professionals. Uh, there has been so much technical training necessary throughout their education and development that, that those have probably been given short shrift, and possibly those folks that have been attracted to it have always just been those kinds of folks. So I think whatever which way, all technical professionals can benefit from learning these skills, and they, everybody can learn them, and everybody can get better at them. There's a myth, a uh, persistent myth that, uh, you know, some people are just born with the gift of gab, and certainly some people are. Uh, however, uh, these folks are used to taking any book or topic that's so difficult and just attacking it and mastering it and dominating it, but they feel like these other skills can't be learned. They, they can be learned. They just need to be learned in a little bit of a different way. They need to be learned. You need to learn the, the tools and techniques you know, from a book and from lecture, but you also need two other things. You need practice and you need expert-led feedback. And with that, I find people do get a lot better. Actuaries, we're a very tiny profession, and, uh, and many actuaries do, uh, you know, sort of uh, toil in, in obscurity because they're, they're, they're making sure that the insurance companies are going to be solvent 100 years from now and being able to honor the promises. And sometimes insurance companies do make 100-year promises. And if you look at the history of failures of banks versus insurance companies, there's no comparison. Very few insurance companies fail relative to banks. The big one that people think about is AIG, but the part of AIG that made the entire company fail was not the insurance part. It was actually the non-insurance part where they were playing around with things that they didn't quite understand. Uh, frankly, I think if they had actuaries working on that part, they wouldn't have been in, in, in that kind of trouble. Uh, I give a, a presentation on that very topic. 
So it, it, but a lot of the actuaries do have those skills, and they are they float up to be more of the business people, uh, be able to look at you know risk and return and form strategy. Uh, but the vast majority are more technical, doing the pricing, product development, financial reporting, managing the solvency of the organization, which is very complex uh, in insurance. But you're right. But I think every technical professional, the most important marginal thing that they can do from their, for their career is to get better at this. So I've been fortunate because two things. One is I recognized that it was important very early on in my career. And two, I got a lot of training and development. I've been, received a lot of and been a beneficiary of a lot of training uh, throughout my career uh, from all kinds of uh, folks, including uh, on the, the, the Minto technique. This uh, Barbara Minto was the first female partner at McKinsey. Uh, and she was uh, a Harvard MBA, and she developed this technique, and I was uh, trained in that and at one point uh, uh, authorized to train others in that. So it, it's recognizing that it's important and, and then getting the skills. Uh, and as you say, yeah, it's true that uh, most technical professionals are not good at this. So if you get a little bit better, you don't have to be super at it. You're just a little bit better than others, then it will, it will pay a lot of dividends. Absolutely wonderful and and so true. I mean, you you say communication, listening, conflict resolution, and leadership. Um, you know, leadership skills and communication are so important. They're so important to to every to to the aspects of of really any uh, successful entrepreneurial um, um, attempt. Or or you know, uh, um, it's just it's so important. In all, in leading business and in successful businesses. Um, so um, I wanted to, before we go on, we have another caller. So I would like to get this caller in. Um, hello, caller. Your number ends in five zero five eight. Are you there? Hello, five zero five eight. Are you there? Huh. Okay. We <laughs> again, maybe somebody has walked away from their phone, not sure. So, um you one thing that you mentioned, you mentioned the Mento technique? Uh yes, M I N T O, the Mento pyramid principle. Ah, okay. And can you just what is what I'm just curious for for our listeners, they they may be very interested in this. Um what what was that about? What type of what did that refer to? It's 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 what she what she says is she she's been very humble. I talked to her about how she developed this. Uh, she said that she said she wasn't a very good consultant, which I find hard to believe. She said what they what they were what uh, what she found was she could organize the thinking and the logic uh, that drove a certain recommendation. She was very good at organizing, and she developed when she was working at McKinsey. She developed this idea, and she said, "Well, I said how'd you do this?" She said, "Well." I don't know. She goes, what what I learned at Harvard, uh, you know, didn't, you know, I couldn't apply it there. And then what McKinsey was doing didn't make sense. So I just developed my own method. <laughs> and it's not <laughs> a sentence you hear a lot, <laughs> because, you know, so it, it says a lot. And she, she, she turned it into a, a structured way of writing. So whenever you need to make a recommendation of changing from A to B, and that's what, you know, a lot of consulting is or a lot of leadership is too. You want to change from A to B. There's a way of doing it in terms of structuring your communication, whether it's written or oral, to uh, so that it will be heard well, so that it has a very good introduction to uh, get people to hear it, and then a brick bunker of a pyramid structure 
of vertical and horizontal logic rules that as you start to apply them, it actually helps you sort out your own thinking. See if there's any holes. Make sure it's complete. Prioritize the most important information. It's very powerful, and it makes things extremely readable. It pulls the reader through or the listener through in terms of tickling to a question that rises in their mind and then satisfying it with the answer and then leading to the next question. And it's it really gives you a way of seeing if your argument is actually correct and, and solid. So it's a technique that I, I actually acknowledge her in my book. I've used that to write my book, and I, I, I hear a lot from executives that it's a really, even though it's a technical book, on how to actually, it's, it's more like a better way to do dynamic strategic planning is a short way to say it. It's, it's technical. It, it actually is a breezy read. So I think that's kudos mm. to her method that, it can make complicated things much clearer and simpler. Absolutely, and I also want to say you do write very, very well, as I do oh. have your book. Um, and uh, and so what I'm curious about is I would imagine this, you know, in the course that you teach, the one that you mentioned, Strategic Communication, for what was it called again? Strategic uh, for Communication? For yeah. For risk professionals. So, um and you said it would be a great course for anyone to take. Is that possible for people to be able to to um do you have to be a full-time student or if someone were interested in taking your course, these how would they go courses, about doing that? These courses are available on a post-baccalaureate basis. Um you know, I I always refer the the, the technical questions on that to <laughs> to the folks in in uh in the, in the intake area, so uh, you know, I don't know what requirements there may be, but it is, mm-hmm. it is, I believe it is possible. Yes. Okay, and these course, that course is not available online, I would imagine. It I know is some not college courses yet. are. It, it is possible that it would be in the future, although that will be one of the more challenging courses to convert into uh, an online course, because part of this course currently. Uh, is uh, practicing uh, presentations in front of a group, uh, but that's uh-huh. we'll work that out eventually. But we have a plans down the road. We need uh, state approval to do that, but uh, we're, we're going to resubmit the entire masters uh, at some point to, to apply to, to run it online, and so it's possible in about a year or so if we get that uh, granted permission that these courses all could be offered online down the road. It's a possibility. Wonderful. So, but for right now, if anybody is interested in taking this course, the best the best road to to finding out or getting more information is to contact uh, Columbia University itself, and yes. and using Sim Sigal's name S E G A L, and it's Sim S I M, and to find out uh, more information about how to take this course, since it sounds like it would be incredibly beneficial for anyone who is interested in in uh learning about how to become a better leader and and to present yourself and all of these amazing skills which Sim has mentioned up to this point um I just wanted to ask one uh quick question because this might be just a lot of fun is about the travel I know you travel a lot for your job so I was just wondering if you could tell us about some of the interesting or some of your more favorite places that you've been to well, I mostly travel domestically, uh, <laughs> but I, I do have a client just finishing up a large project for in a very cold part of Canada. <laughs> I had to travel there a couple times where the snow was just piled up unbelievably high, 
Uh, and I'm not a cold weather uh, person, but uh, these, these things are necessary. But one of the more fun places that I've, I've gone, I mean, I, I have traveled for my own companies, mostly, again, domestic. But I, one of my early clients was a short gig for Korean organizations. So I, I went out to, I'd never been to Korea before. I'd been to China and Japan, but I hadn't been to Korea. And that was really interesting and fun. And uh, another client that's a U.S. client, but they had a Brazil, it was a forest management uh, Timo, Timberland Investment Management Organization. They they have forests and they have trees and they grow them and you know sell them. So they they wanted me to first uh, apply the techniques that we were doing uh, to their Brazil property. So I got to go down uh, there and I'd been to Brazil before. I really love Brazil. Love the culture there. Love the people. And uh, unfortunately, don't speak the language. Although it's a beautiful language. And I remember going down there and, and had this really uh, great client, uh, great guy, he's about 10 years younger than me, and he said, look, let's go down. We went down in uh, October, uh, I guess a couple years ago, and he said, well, we'll go down there and we'll do, and it's usually short trips when I travel, it's short, you know, on site for a few days or something. We'll work Thursday and Friday, and he goes, and I'll invite you, he goes, I, we're going to be going to the Oktoberfest uh, nearby, it's nearby the office, and uh, he said, well, if you want to come, you'll, you can join me. So it'll be Saturday and Sunday. We'll hang out. So the, the administrative assistant in the company, her husband was very wealthy and had a beautiful uh, beach house. So we, we drove up there, and just from the driveway, just pulling into the driveway, you could hear the, the waves crashing in. It was just not one of these beach houses you have here in Long Island, you know, made out of nothing. This is brick, and it was like a 100-foot retaining wall, a little pool, hammock. I mean, it was just beautiful deck, just a whole big roasting pit and, and uh, you know, entertainment room, and just such warm people. And we had, you know, they were they were grilling things on the spit. They were drinking. They were just, it was such a good social music. It was so much fun. The next day, I had to do just a little bit of work for an hour, and I was sitting there working, looking out, at the ocean thinking, you know, this is wonderful. I'm getting paid for this. This, this is just a great <laughs> environment. And that night, the family and I uh, and some of the coworkers, they all, we all hung out together. We went to this Oktoberfest in Blumenau, Brazil. And in Blumenau, it's the second largest Oktoberfest in the world. And it was massive. Uh, it was a large German population, just massive. It was you know, good food and phenomenal beer. I mean, I'm not a beer drinker. I don't know how to drink her anyway, but this is not pasteurized, and the taste was really phenomenal, and it was just good, clean, fun, people well-behaved, singing and dancing, and, and uh, it was just a great time, one of the greatest nights. Oh, I know. I, re- I, I remember you talking all about it. It just sounds so great. And you've been down there more than once, right? You've, I think I've been um, down there three times. Yeah, the last time I went on behalf of Columbia doing a couple of seminars for some uh, organizations of organizations uh, down down there uh, in Rio, and uh, that was also a great time. I, I took a side trip uh, back to uh, visit those uh, that for, at, uh, former client and, and the friends that I'd made there. Oh, wonderful! It sounds like so much fun. But I know you work very hard. Um, but you, I know you how much you enjoy your work. And just in the last, you know, since you've been you you launched your business was about four years ago. Actually, uh, it's almost six years now. Really? Oh my goodness! But oh. I know that um, within just a few years, you were—I mean, I, I believe you were making—you know—you you had more than matched your previous salary, and um, you know that you're you're wildly successful. So um, you know, I, it's just—it is possible to to do that well. 
Um, and I just wanted our listeners to know you can you can really, if you put the work in and and everything that that Sim has been talking about, all of the ingredients that are necessary. But if you really have that passion and you put the work in, and you continue to learn from you know from what you're doing, you can really be successful. Um, so um, it is possible. And I just I cannot believe that the time has gone so quickly. It's been such a, an incredibly wonderful and informative show, and I'm so grateful to have had this, this guest with us today, Sim Sigal. So I want to thank you so much, Sim, for being on the show today. Um, and I'd also like to remind our listeners that now is a particularly great time to be an entrepreneur with with our um, with with the the valley that we are we have seemed to have been in in this, these financial times. But it actually is a great time to be an entrepreneur, whether it's because we're seeking escape from a, a job, a corporate life, an unpleasant bo- boss, or just looking for freedom and fulfilling a greater purpose and control over our lives and our future. Or whatever we may be looking for, we can create anything we choose by embracing entrepreneurship. The road ahead requires commitment, focus, and hard work, but the payoff can be priceless. I'm Jan Jaffe of Forward to Success, and it has been my privilege to have been your host today. I would like to offer our listeners a free 30-minute consulting and discovery session. And for more information, you can email me at info at forwardtosuccess.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at forwardtosuccess.com. And I also want to remind our listeners that you're invited to share any comments or feedback on our website. That's www.lifecoachradionetworks.com. And in addition to my solo interview show, Your Best Life, airing on the second Wednesday of every month at 12 noon Eastern on this network, where I interview fascinating guests on many topics from all walks of life, I also host Think Tank, which is a roundtable discussion with my brilliant co-hosts. They're really brilliant. Um, Charissa Sebastian and Susan Gonzalez. I am so blessed to work with them. Think Tank airs the fourth Wednesday of every month at 12 noon. Our next episode deals with the the topic of toxic relationships. I would be delighted if you would join us for the next episode of Think Tank on November 25th at 12 noon Eastern. I'm also interviewing Anne Phillips, an icon in the music industry on Friday, November 13th. That's this Friday. At uh, No, I'm sorry, it's not Friday. We had to change that date. Excuse me. I am interviewing Ann Phillips on Sunday, November 15th. That's this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. So, Sim, um, would you care to share any closing thoughts, comments, uh, and uh, contact information with our listening audience. Oh, sure, I sure would, because I heard you mention the consulting and discovery opportunity. Anybody within the sound of my voice, if you have an opportunity to spend some time with Jan, I would grab it. What she, she's very humble, but she is one of the most talented people I've ever met. Everything she touches is wildly successful. And she has just got a phenomenal energy and spirit. So I would uh, very much encourage everybody to take her up on that. And oh, my goodness. 
say, Jan, is it's always just the time does fly by for me. I always enjoy uh, talking to you and any opportunity I can get. So it's it's been a pleasure to be on your show. Oh, thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate that. Um, would you mind just telling the our listening audience uh, how they could reach you at, at your or just oh. you know, what your website? Yeah, uh. sure. Uh, you can uh, reach me by email at sim, S-I-M, at Simergy, S-I-M-E-R-G-Y dot com, or you can uh, uh, just go to the website, uh, Simergy dot com. Thank you so much, and I really encourage people to to check out Sim's website. So, again, thank you so much, Sim. It has been just an honor to have you on the show, and I know that our listeners have learned. I hope people were taking notes because Sim is just brilliant, and talk about everything you touch turning to gold. That's Sim, but he he definitely puts the work behind it and the expertise. So I'm just going to announce, uh, take a moment to announce a few of our upcoming shows. On this, the Life Coach Radio Network, um, on uh, November 13th, no, I'm sorry, again, we, we, that, that show got canceled, um, on November 14th uh, at 10 a.m., um, Reveal Your Excellence with the on-camera coach, Renee Ellison, on November 15th at 9 p.m., Mark My Words with Certified Life and Business Coach Mark Shaw. On November 25th at 12 p.m., Think Tank, How to Recognize and Navigate Through Toxic Relationships. And on our sister network, the Life Coach Chat Channel, uh, tomorrow on November 12th at 1 p.m., Reclaim Your Health, Expression is Life. On November 15th at 8 p.m., Your Best Life with Jan Jaffe, interview with music icon Ann Phillips. On November 16th at 2 p.m., Holy Shift with professional coaches Barb Heenan and Leslie Pacchetti. And on November 17th at 7 p.m., Transform Your Life with Coach Tamara, Conversations with My Younger Self, Part 5. I want to again thank my wonderful guest, Sim Seagal, and um, our caller, my cousin, my brilliant cousin, Michael, for joining us today and making this show a very special one. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Firing up the grill, having a picnic, going to a game or the beach. Stop by Acme for juicier Lancaster brand meats for the grill, fresher cut fruits and vegetables, tastier desserts from our bakery, and all of your snack needs. Get Canada Dry, 7-Up, Sunkist, or A&W 12-packs of 12-ounce cans for just $2.49 each when you buy any four. Limit one offer. And genuine pork baby back ribs or buy one, get two free. Better selections, bigger savings. At Acme, it's getting better every day. And this is my impression of a drill instructor directing a musical. Town hut! Get those tap heels in line and let me see those jazz hands! Are you bundling your home and auto insurance through Progressive? Can you hear me through those sequins? Bundle your home and auto through Progressive and save. Left, 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 and step ball change. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates. Home insurance provided and serviced by other select insurers.